Welcome to Church on the Hill. I'm glad that uh, you're joining us this morning online. And those of you who are part of Church on the Hill and those of you who may be attending other churches that want to check us out, we just want to say welcome. We're in this series called Life Plan. I want to take this opportunity while we're, I guess, homebound, while we got this stay-at-home order where we have time for more self-reflection. I want to use that as a time for us to really think about our life and to come out of this time living with more intentionality. I want us to live life with intention. And last week we, we talked about the fact that you don't go kayaking without a paddle. Why? Because if you do, you're going to get stuck on some side issue. And in life, we're going to get stuck on some side issue in life that's going to take us away from our, our, our God-given calling. Or we may get swept into a current of life without, without that paddle. Or, well, for sure, we definitely are probably going to probably and definitely don't go together. We definitely are going to miss our desired destination. So I brought, I brought something with me this morning just to emphasize this point, and we're going to have it each, each, each message here. This is called the paddle of intentionality. Now, I know some of us, if we grew up in a certain area, we're thinking of that paddle of intentionality and something goes like this, right? We bend over and boom. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the paddle of intentionality. I want us to live life with intention. I want us to change the world because we have allowed God to develop a plan for us so that we live out our unique God-given calling. And today we're going to focus on one other foundational element that must be in place and then we'll move into the four legs of this life plan that will support that will support our unique calling and allow us to live life with intention. So let's pray. God Please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our eyes and our hearts to your truth, God. Please, please help us to believe that you have created us on purpose for a purpose. In your mighty name we pray and ask. Amen. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister a medical student, stepped into the starter's running blocks at Oxford University's Ipsley Road track outside of London, England. Roger was running against his old university for the Amateur Athletic Association. Uh, The competition was stiff. To everyone's surprise, though, Bannister not only beat everyone in his heats, but he surpassed everyone who had ever run the mile by running a mile in less than four minutes. For years, experts believed that it was humanly impossible to run a mile in less than four minutes. And decades of races had consistently proven their theory correct. So naturally, the news of of Roger's run shocked the world. But what happened next was even more shocking. Two months later, Australia's John Landry beat Bannister's world record by running another sub-four-minute mile. Later that year, New Zealand's, New Zealand's Peter Schnell joined Bannister and Landry by bettering the pace even further. Soon, Runners from around the world began to join this sub-four-minute mile club. Soon it became normal 
for runners to run a mile in less than four minutes. For centuries, four minutes had marked the limits of human achievement. And every runner who stepped onto the track bowed submissively to that common preconception. But on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister shattered that old myth. And in the process, he invited runners from everywhere to join him. Soon, they joined him in droves. Did he, did he offer some new running technique, a new way to train, dietary secrets? No. He simply contributed to one thing that had been missing all those years. Belief. Once they saw it done, they had no choice to believe that it could be done. And if Bannister could do it, so could they. There is this simple principle in this illustration that applies to everyone who wants to live out their unique God-given calling. Belief is foundational for our ability to do so. Bannister's contemporaries they, they, they were really only held back by one thing, their level of belief. They obviously wanted to run a mile in less than four minutes, and they obviously had the talent to do so, but only when they believed it could be done did they succeed. Same thing with us. Our level of belief or our unbelief often is the only thing that holds us where we are in life. There's this fascinating interaction between Jesus and Peter that illustrates uh, the, the point that unbelief can derail our ability to live our unique God-given calling, and, and it, can, it illustrates how unbelief actually can cause us to sink in life at times. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people and healing many people in their midst. After sending the crowd away, Jesus instructs his disciples to get on a boat and to travel across this lake. And then Jesus climbed up this hill and to pray and, and to be alone with God. But early next morning, his disciples still had not made it across that lake because they, they were rowing against the wind in choppy water with waves crashing against their boat, picking up and in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, we're told this. During the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Because during this time period, the common belief was that the lake, the sea, contained evil spirits. But in verse 27, after Jesus heard their cry, it says this, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What was Peter thinking? Why did he believe that he could walk on water like Jesus? Peter's request only makes sense when we understand the background of this story, in particular how Jews viewed discipleships. discipleship. For Jews, being a disciple of a rabbi, which, which Jesus was, being a disciple of a rabbi meant way more than knowing what the rabbi knew. It, it went much deeper than that. For a Jew, becoming a disciple of a rabbi meant becoming like that rabbi in every way. 
being like that rabbi in every way, doing what the rabbi did in every way. And so I have this saying that I like to say, and I like to encourage us to be and do Jesus in every way and every day. So when Peter says in verse 28, Lord, if, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, such a statement is not, not that crazy because he wants to do what his rabbi's doing. He wants to do what Jesus is doing, walking on this water. So Jesus says in verse 29, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter actually walked on water like his rabbi. And as he was walking, we're told this in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, so when things got a little scary, when things started working out not the way he had planned, when things got tough, when a curveball came his way, he was afraid. Fear began to take over. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, that is his fear, had overcome his faith. He said, why did you doubt? Why do we doubt? Why do you doubt that God has created you with a unique God-given calling? Why do you doubt sometimes that you can actually live it out? And when you are living out, why do you doubt sometimes that God won't take you the next step on that journey. Why? Why? Why do you doubt? In the past, when I read this passage without understanding the full implications of what it means to be someone's disciple, I had always thought that Peter had doubted Jesus. Maybe, that's, maybe, that's, maybe you're doubting that God can actually do this for you. But I had always thought that Peter had doubted Jesus, and that's why he sank. But, but Jesus is still standing on the water. Jesus isn't sinking. So Peter wasn't doubting Jesus. Peter was doubting himself as Jesus' disciple. Peter was doubting that he could be and do like his rabbi. Peter lost faith that he could be and do like Jesus. And therefore he, he sank. So what do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we doubt that God has created us with a unique God-given calling? What do we do, even if we believe it and we, and we embrace it, what do we do when we doubt that we're capable of living out this calling? Well, listen to this interesting interaction between Jesus and a dad, a dad of a boy who was demon-possessed. This is what we're told in Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 15. When they, and they, they there is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they were up on this mountainside, and it was the transfiguration time period in this story, and, and after that, they're walking back down. So when they say they, they're talking about Peter, Jesus, James, and John. When they came back to the disciples, they, the other disciples, they, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the crowd saw him, Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he, Jesus, answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he, Jesus, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And, and he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, and we don't know Jesus' tone, but I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I got to think his tone was a little bit like, if you can? It's like, do you know who you're talking to here? All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I like that. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And so this idea that our unbelief holds us where we are has powerful implications when it comes to embracing and living out our unique God-given calling. Remember, remember last week we talked about the words from the, from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10. God's word is clear. You and me, we have been created with a unique God-given calling. And not just in God's word. But we see it in God's creation as we looked at this simple bee. The bee is integral to pollination. They estimate every three mouthfuls of food come from pollination. The little tiny bee has a unique, important calling in this world, like you and me. And this is what Apostle Paul says. I want to remind you. Apostle Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you believe that? Do you? Last week, we, we talked about the fact that some of us may struggle with figuring that out, and so we talked about the fact that God has given us passions, that is, things that we love to do, and God has given us gifts, that is, natural abilities and spiritual gifts, and so we take our passions and we take our gifts and we add them to God's purposes. And God's purposes are to bring healing and restoration to other people in this world. And that, that then equals our calling. And if, if you want to, to dive deep and try to figure out what your unique God-given calling is, we're having a, a, Zoom, a Zoom interaction this Tuesday at 6.30. We have a number of people already signed up for the class. If you want to participate in that, just send an email to info at hillchurch.com. And Pastor Jenna will follow up with you, and she'll send you some information before that class so that you can be prepared for it. I, I strongly encourage you, this Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., send the email, info at hillchurch.com. Do you believe that God has created you in a unique way? If you struggle with that, then ask God to help your unbelief. Otherwise, hear me on this, otherwise, you will meander through life. You will never, ever, never, ever 
live the life that God has created you to live. You will never, ever experience the fullness of life that God wants you to experience. So the Apostle Paul tells us that God has created us in this unique way. God's creation shows us that God has created us in a unique way. And then Jesus gets even crazier than that when Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, that is, he who entrusts, there's that phrase in John, believes in, pistu ice, he who entrusts their entire being to Jesus, he who gives Jesus their complete allegiance, the works, Jesus says, the works that I do, he will do also. And even greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Are you kidding me? Not only has God recreated us in Christ Jesus to do good works, to bring healing and restoration to the people in this world, but Jesus tells us that we're going to do the same work. So in our unique God-given calling, we are going to do the same works that Jesus did. And what are, what are those works? Making the lame walk. Restoring sight to the blind. Healing every kind of disease. Giving people hope. Feeding people. Dying to self on a regular basis so that others might live. The works that Jesus did, they all seem to be about giving people life. Those are the works that God wants us to do as we live out our unique God-given calling. Are you with me this morning? And then Jesus says this. And even greater works than these you will do. I don't even understand what that means. I just got to be straight with you. It's hard for me to even comprehend that. How can we do greater works than Jesus? How can we give, I don't know, more life than what Jesus gave? I, I don't understand it. Maybe because we may live physically longer and we may be able to have more influence over more people. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer to that question. I just know that that's what Jesus says. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can do the works that Jesus does? Do you believe that God can use you through your unique God-given calling to give life to people? Do you believe that you will do even greater works than Jesus, whatever that means. Do you believe that? If you don't, then ask God to help your unbelief. I know Kristen and I were wrestling with this calling that God had put upon me. Taking that first faith leap was the hardest. Why? Because of fear. I still remember being in Ohio as we're, as we're wrestling and, we're getting, and we're, we got accountable and we're getting ready to move and we were so afraid and our biggest fear was for provision. Is God really going to provide for us because we had always provided for ourselves? And the other issue that we struggled with was fear of, of lack of control. Because Kristen and I were very good at controlling our lives and I think we did a pretty good job we were just that way. We were control mongers. 
And so to give that up was scary for us. But once we took that first, first faith leap, God then built upon that and, and, and actually built and increased our belief in what God was doing through us. So how do we build belief? Let's get practical for a moment here. How do we build belief that God has created us with this unique God-given calling, that God wants to use us to change the world? How, how, how do we build that belief? Well, we build belief, number one, through prayer. Through prayer, the Holy Spirit prepares us for what is to come. And, and in prayer, we actually can pray over our, our, this calling that God has given to us. During prayer, we may sense that we're going in a direction that God doesn't really want us to go in. And so God is asking us to make adjustments. And then when we actually embrace our calling or, or our calling leads us to another God adventure, we, we engage God in prayer to, to ask God, please give us the stamina. Please give us the stamina to go to distance. God, please give us direction so that we can discern your will on which way to go here. God, please give us the resources. I know when Chris and I were at a particular church, and it was, it was at an interesting time, we would just pray, God, hey, God, please bring people here who have certain gifts to move this church forward. And, and as we're interacting with God, we can pray for vision, courage. The list goes on and on and on. Prayer and communion for me really allowed God to do God's work in me and then to accomplish God's purposes through me. Prayer and communion with God alerted me to changes in direction as I was walking the God path. And, and prayer and communion with God helped me endure the many obstacles that came my way as I lived out, as I am living out, my unique God-given calling. So how do we build belief? Pray. Second, act. Do you remember... What Mark Batterson said in his book, The Circle Maker. I don't know if you've ever read it. If you haven't, take a look at it. It's, it's a great read on prayer. This is what he said. He said, pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. When we pray but don't act, we may be saying that we believe in God, but we're acting as though we don't. We can pray until our knees are numb, but if our praying isn't accompanied with some action, we probably aren't going to get anywhere. So after going down on our knees in prayer, at some point in time, we need to stand up and step out in faith. Go for it. For example, Queen Esther, when she received this call from God to go and save her people from annihilation, we are told that she said and did this in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. And just let me put this into context for you if you don't know this story. The Israelites were in exile. Esther was a, was a Jew. She rose up. She, I guess she, she looked good, and the king brought her into his harem. There was a lot of scuttlebutt going on where one of his counselors wanted him to eliminate all the Jews, just wipe them out. And so God used her in her position to go ask the king and see if he, she could change the king's mind. But the big issue was is that you could not go to the king unless the king invited you. So listen, listen to what we're told here in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. She says this, Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. 
Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. After she prayed and fasted, she stood up and stepped out in faith with a plan to save her people. Her belief was accompanied by action. She actually did something. She didn't let analysis paralysis or, or, worrying, or worry about messing it up to stop her from doing anything. Instead, with boldness, hear me on this, she trusted God with the outcome as she went to the king and God used her to save her people from annihilation. So how do we build belief? Pray, act, and then because our, our unique calling is always progressive, that it's always moving forward, one of the most important skills that we need to learn as we live out our unique God-given calling is how to break it down into small steps. These are called, well, these are called stepping stones. As we reach each stepping stone, our belief, our belief for, or our vision for what lies ahead it becomes clearer, and, and then what happens is, is our motivation begins to skyrocket, and then our level of, of belief then naturally grows. And King David is a great example of how we build belief, how God really builds belief through stepping stones. It may seem to some that his decision to go fight that giant, that, that giant Goliath, was naive and and maybe an uninformed burst of holy craziness. But early in his life, David had, had come to this conviction that, that God was going to protect him from, from any enemy that he faced. Perhaps that conviction came quickly, or maybe it came over time. We don't know. But by the time he went to face that giant Goliath, he had tested out his hypothesis on a number of occasions. And so when King Saul confronted David with all of his limitations, with all of his inadequacies of being a warrior, David shared his vision and his belief with King Saul. Their conversation went like this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning of verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Do you see the progression of David's level of belief? First, God enabled him to, to defeat lions and bears. And so David rested in the confidence that, that God was going to enable him to defeat this next giant in his life, this giant named Goliath. This is a model for how stepping stones work. 
Hear me on this. You don't have to conquer the world in one day. You don't have to save the world in one day. You don't have to do some crazy big thing in one day. All you have to do is believe one step at a time and then watch your belief that God has given you this unique calling. Watch that belief in that grow and watch what God accomplishes through you in that calling. And so as you embrace your God-given calling, pray, act, put down stepping stones, and then watch. Watch. Watch how God uses you to bring healing and restoration to this world. Watch how God increases your belief that God has a special role for you to play in God's story of bringing people like you and me back into right relationship with God. Watch how God uses you to further God's kingdom here on earth. My friends, it took Peter, remember this, it took Peter and the other disciples some time to believe that they could be like Jesus It took them some time to embrace their role in God's story. But when they did, all heaven broke loose and God used them to change the world. They made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And hence, we we are here today. We are to be disciple makers. God wants us to change the world too. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you believe that that you are God's workmanship? Do you believe that you've been handcrafted, hand-shaped by God? Do you believe that you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works? And what are those works? To give life to people. Do you believe that God has created you and wants to use you, has given you this unique calling in life to bring healing and restoration to every single person in your sphere of influence? Do you believe that? If you don't, if you doubt at times, if life has hit you with some curveballs, if, if you're facing a storm like Peter did and the wind and the waves are getting all crazy and you're, and you're doubting, oh my goodness, God, do I have anything to offer? Do I matter? Do I really have a role to play in your story? And I ask you this morning to join, to join me in asking God to help your unbelief. If you don't think that I struggle with this at times, oh my goodness, you are strongly mistaken. There are moments when I ask, man, do I have what it takes, God, to be the pastor at Church on the Hill? Can I navigate all this stuff? I don't feel like I have the wisdom, God, the skill set, God. I don't have the words at times. I don't have the patience at times, God. God, I don't know what I'm doing in this DS rule. Are you sure you didn't make a mistake? Did I hear you wrongly? Oh, I struggle too at times with doubt. So will you join me this morning and pray with me? 
Oh God, please. God, we're just coming to you this morning. It's transparent, honest. Man, I have to confess, God, sometimes I believe the lie of the evil one that I don't matter, that I don't have what it takes. I let confusion set in and I find myself in a bad place emotionally, God. I'm sure some of my brothers and sisters that are listening, my friends that are listening, that I'm sure they can relate. And so God, we, we come this morning and we're gonna claim your truth. We're gonna claim the truth of your word, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are your workmanship. We have been handcrafted and shaped, handshaped by you. You have designed us and created us with this unique calling in life, God. And so we're just gonna say, we believe that. God, please, as we navigate this maze of life with these storms that come our way, please, God, every step of the way, build our belief in you and what you want to do through us, God. And then may we, every step of the way, just say, here I am, God. Please continue to transform me and use me as you see fit today. Use me to give someone life today. Use me to bring healing and restoration to someone today. Oh God, will you, Christ, Christ, will you be magnified in us in every way and every day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask, amen. Will you just join us in this closing song?